Well, this morning, uh, we're going to wrap up a series that we began a few weeks ago entitled Four Hearts. And we've been talking really about the significance of the condition of our heart, making sure that our heart is ready and responsive to receive the Word of God. And we've been talking about the power of God's Word, that God's Word is the seed of the Spirit that really does produce life. And, and the heartbeat of this series has really been about what does it mean to live a fruitful life. And so let me just go ahead and just, just challenge us with a thought today as we kind of wrap this message up. If we're not careful being American Christians, if we're not careful, we will, we will buy the lie that the ultimate goal of our life is to obtain worldly success. And if we're not careful, we'll spend all of our time, energy, and effort trying to be successful, but not necessarily being fruitful in the kingdom of God. It's possible for you to be a success according to the world's standards and bear no fruit according to God's standards. And at the end of the day, when you and I stand before the Lord and give an account for our life, we're not going to be judged by the standard of the world. We're going to be judged by the standard of God. And so the challenge for each and every one of us is to say, God, I want to make sure that I'm not just living a successful life, I want to make sure I'm living a fruitful life for the kingdom of God. Because here's the good news. If you're fruitful, you can be successful. But just being successful doesn't necessarily mean you're fruitful. And God is not anti-success. As a matter of fact, God is very much for your success. He's the God of exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think. God wants to promote you. God wants to bless you. God wants to set you apart. God wants your life to be a life of overwhelming success. But he wants to make sure that the success that you obtain in the world produces fruitfulness in the kingdom. Because if all I have is worldly success with no eternal fruit, then I'm going to stand before the Lord and I'm going to come short of the glory that God intended me to have. So if I am committed to being fruitful, God can make me successful. And the more success I have in the world, the more opportunity I have to be fruitful in the kingdom if my heart remains right with the Lord. Amen? It really all does come down to the condition of my heart. So let's look in Mark chapter 4 because in Mark chapter 4 it's the parable of the sower and the Bible says this as Jesus is explaining the parable. He says if you can't understand the meaning of this parable how will you understand all the other parables? The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others and the seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. And the seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. And the seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things so that no fruit is produced. In verse 20, this is really where we want to live our lives. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. So we recognize that the size of our harvest is determined by the condition of our heart. 
that God's Word will work. Amen. God's Word will work if we will work the Word of God. And the same seed that produced no fruit in one person's life produced much fruit in another person's life based on one thing, their reception to the Word of God. The condition of your heart and how you respond to God's Word determines the fruitfulness of your life. So think about this. Let me just boil it down. This is really some good news. The key to transformational change is just responding to the Word of God. The key to transformational change is responding to the Word of God. And if you respond to the Word of God by faith and obedience, God's Word always produces fruit. Always produces fruit. If you allow your heart to reject or deter the Word of God from taking root in your life, then all of a sudden we understand that the same seed that produces much fruit will ultimately produce no fruit in our life. So let me just encourage you today. Let's think about, God, how can I continually open my heart to your Word? God, I want to live my life with an open heart mentality that says yes to the Word of God so that your Word always finds place in my heart and in my life. So let's talk about that third soil. Last week we talked about the hardened heart. We talked about the shallow heart. Today we're going to talk about the crowded heart. Listen to what Jesus said. Look at this third point or this next point. So the third heart is the crowded heart, Jesus said. It's the seed that's sowed among the thorns. And this person is distracted by worry, by wealth, and by the desire for other things. And the soil of their heart is so crowded that there is no room for the seed of God's Word to take root or find nourishment. Jesus said the seed that's sown among the thorns is a crowded heart. It's a heart where the person doesn't have room in their life for the Word of God. It gets choked out. God's Word gets choked out of their life. And ultimately, he said, it produces no fruit in their life. I want to read to you a scripture for all you note takers. Right now, Matthew chapter 9, verse 23 through 25. I want to read this to you. It's a story of a ruler of the synagogue named Jairus. And Jairus' daughter had died, and he had come to Jesus. And listen to what the Bible says. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house, he saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing. But Jesus said to them, Make room, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when the crowd was put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. I love this story because I think this story is a beautiful picture of what God wants to do in our life. And that is that we have to make room for Jesus. Come on, somebody. we got to make room for the Word of God. The Bible says that when Jesus showed up, the house was filled with a crowd of people who were wailing and grieving and in great sorrow. And Jesus says, make room because the girl's not dead. She's only asleep. And the Bible says they begin to ridicule him and they begin to mock him. Let me just go ahead and tell you something. The moment you decide to make room in your heart for the Word of God, the world's going to ridicule you. The world's going to make fun of you. Oh, you're, you're one of them Bible people. Oh, you're one of them fake people. Oh, yeah, you're going to stand on the Word of God. Oh, yeah, I know you're kind. I want to just tell you something. It, it, it should not surprise us when ridicule and persecution comes. We said this last week. Tribulation and persecution is normal Christianity. 
Why? Because when you're standing on the Word of God and you're receiving God's Word as the seed of the Spirit in your heart, all of a sudden your life is going counter-cultural. You are living in opposition to the culture and climate of a world, a world that is going in one direction toward hell. Now you're going in an entirely different direction because you've opened your heart to the Word of God. And I love this story because Jesus said we got to make room. And then the Bible says, and they put out all those people. I just want to tell you today, there's some things in your heart and your mind that need to be put out. You need to make room in your heart for the Word of God. You've got to put away the distractions. You've got to put away all those things that are consuming your thoughts, your mind, your will, and your emotions. And allow God's Word to begin to take root in your life. We talked about how easy it is to scroll on social media for hours and how difficult it is to spend 15 minutes in the, in the Bible or in prayer or in worship. We can scroll till our thumbs fall off, but we can't study for 15 minutes. we got to make room. And I want to just challenge us as we kind of begin to just dive into this last message today that we've got to be conscious. We've got to be intentional. We've got to be on purpose about, God, I'm going to make room in my heart for the Word of God. I want you to look at this next point. This is huge. So we have to recognize that our hearts are really a part of the soulish realm of our lives, our mind, our will, and our emotions. Hear me today. You're a spirit, which means you're eternal. How many of you know everybody's going to live forever somewhere? Everybody has a spirit. Everybody is going to live forever somewhere, either in heaven or in hell. You're a spirit and you have a soul. That's your mind, your will, and your emotions. That's the unique expression of who you are. That's the divine DNA that God has implanted and imparted into your life that makes you uniquely you. How many know you're uniquely you? You're a spirit and you have a soul, a mind, a will, and emotions. There is a divine imprint upon your life. And then you live in a body. This is your earth suit. This gives you authority and dominion on planet earth so that his kingdom can come and his will can be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? The moment you leave this body, you lose your influence in this world because it is your flesh that gives you authority to operate as a son or daughter of God in the earth. Amen? So you're a spirit and you have a soul. Think about this. Look at the next part of this statement. So whatever consumes our thoughts, that's our mind. Whatever influences our will and whatever stirs our emotions will control the soil of our hearts. Whatever, think about that, whatever consumes our thoughts, whatever influences our will and whatever stirs our emotions will control the soil of our hearts. The Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Romans 8, 6 says, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Why? Because what you think about determines the decisions you make, and it determines the emotions you feel. And so all of a sudden, we recognize something. We recognize there's a spiritual battle for the soil of our heart. Satan wants to crowd our hearts. Satan wants our hearts to be overgrown by the thorns of this world so that there's no room in our heart for the Word of God. So that our minds are constantly consumed by the things of this world. And if my mind is constantly consumed by the things of this world, then what I think about will determine what I will do. It will affect the choices and decisions I make. It will determine the feelings and emotions that I have. How many know your emotions are just a reflection of your thoughts? 
What you think about determines how you feel. If you want to be depressed and you want to be discouraged and you want to be overwhelmed, then watch the news all day long. Right? If all you think about is all the problems in the world and all the challenges in the world and all the struggles in your family and all the difficulties you're facing, and if you just rehearse over and over and over in your mind how bad life is, how difficult your life is, how sorrowful you are, how nothing's ever going to change, how nobody ever loves you and nothing good ever works out on your behalf, you're going to be the most miserable, depressed person on planet earth. But the moment that you change the way you think, as a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, we have the mind of Christ. We have the authority of God to take control over our thoughts. Let me tell you how to change your thoughts. Open your mouth. You want to change your thoughts? Open your mouth. See, we get trapped in our minds. You ever, you ever somebody says, don't think about the number nine, don't think about the number nine, don't think about the number nine, and all you can think about is the number nine. The only way you can change your thoughts when you are caught in a cycle is you got to begin to open your mouth and decree and declare the Word of God. We take every thought captive when we open our mouth. Faith comes by hearing, which means faith is released by speaking. I release my faith when I open my mouth. So I've got to open my mouth and I've got to say, Lord, I thank you that I am, I am at peace. God, I thank you that I have joy. Lord, I thank you that I am filled with peace. I thank you that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and gentleness and goodness and kindness and temperance. And I have self-control. By the way, all of you that were here a couple weeks ago, I hadn't ate anything past 7 o'clock. Come on, somebody. Everybody else is thinking, that sounds really weird, Pastor Keith. What are you talking about? Well, you have to go back and listen to the message. Here we go. All right, so let's look at our next point. So Jesus identified three specific things. Three specific things that wants to consume our thoughts, that wants to choke out the Word of God. The first one he said was the worries of life. So look at this. When worry consumes our thoughts, our will, and our emotions, it chokes out the Word of God. So instead of praying about anything, we worry about everything, and the fruit of peace is choked out of our lives instead of praying about anything how do you know that you're consumed with worry because that's all you do right you worry about this you worry about that you worry about your family you worry about your future you worry about your past you worry about the nation you worry about the government you worry about your kids you worry about your grandkids you worry about all these things and you worry about everything but you don't pray about anything think about what would happen if the time and energy and effort that you spent worrying you actually spent praying what if instead of being consumed in your mind with worry, you begin to open your mouth and speak and decree and declare the Word of God through prayer and faith and, 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 and belief in a God who saves and a God who heals and a God who delivers? What if instead of worrying about what could go wrong, you begin to believe that the good God that you serve, that redeemed you and rescued you and sent His Son to die on a cross for you, that He who had begun a good work in you will complete it? What, what if you begin to believe that? Amen. Paul said this to the Philippian believers. Look what he said in Philippians chapter 4. He said, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all that He's done. And then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And His peace will guard our hearts and our minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Why? Because when worry controls my thoughts, it influences my will. And it stirs my emotions. There's a biblical principle found in the book of Genesis that says everything reproduces after its own kind. Apples make apples, oranges make oranges, deer make deer, rabbits make rabbits, and humans make humans. Everything reproduces after its own kind. So guess what? Worry produces more. 
Fear produces more. Anxiety produces more. But faith produces more. Hope produces more. Love produces more. And peace produces more. One of the godly beliefs that we teach through our encounter retreats is this little simple statement. Peace is normal for me. Peace is normal for me. And you know what? That's true. If Jesus is Lord of your life. Look what Jesus said in John 14, 27. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Why? Because Jesus said, I've given you the seed of peace. My peace. The peace that surpasses all understanding. The peace that does not even make sense. It's a transformational, supernatural peace that abides within you and it's not dictated by what's around you. Peace is normal for me. Father, I thank you that I have peace because Jesus gave me his peace. And his peace is not like the world's peace. It's a life-giving, sustaining, transformational peace that comes from God. So Jesus said, if you allow worry to consume your thoughts, it will dictate your will. It will overwhelm your emotions, and you'll choke out the fruit of peace. But if you'll embrace Jesus, if you'll allow the Word of God to take root in your heart, if you'll just say, I'm going to believe that God is who He says He is, and I have peace because Jesus gave it to me. And peace is normal for me. Fear, worry, and anxiety is abnormal for me. I'm just going to be honest with you. When I get stressed out and overwhelmed, that's not normal. That's not how I live my life. That's not normal Christianity. Normal Christianity is in the midst of chaos, there's still some peace. Doesn't mean I don't have to deal with the junk because I just have to deal with the junk just like everybody has to deal with the junk. But I recognize something. I recognize there's a peace in God. Come on, somebody. There's a peace in God. And if I will set my mind on things above and not on things below, there's a peace that passes all understanding. And so I've got to make sure that I'm setting my heart on those things that promote peace. Look at that next point. Jesus said, not only does worry choke out the fruit of the word, but he goes on and he says that the lure of wealth. So think about this. When the lure of wealth consumes our thoughts, our will, and our emotions, we become a slave to the spirit of mammon, which is money, which is greed, which is lust, which is desire. And the desire to build our kingdom ends up choking out the fruit of God's kingdom in our lives. Jesus said the lure of wealth, nothing wrong with wealth, it's the lure of wealth, it's the love of wealth. Listen to what the Bible says in Matthew 6. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, for you'll hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and what? Now, if I was making that quote, I would have said a lot of other things except for money. I would have said, you can't serve God and the devil. I would have said, you can't serve God and the world. I would have said, you can't serve God and your flesh. But Jesus said, you can't serve God and? You know why? Because he knew something. He knew one of the greatest temptations we would face would be the love of money. Not money. Money is not positive or negative. Money is a tool that can be used for the glory of God, or it can be a tool that can be used for your, your destruction. But it's the love of money. Listen to what Paul said, 1 Timothy. You guys know this scripture. Let me read it to you anyway, verse 6. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Isn't it interesting that the Bible says that when I crave money, I wander from the what? The faith. 
It's interesting that money draws me away from God. Why? Because there is a spirit of mammon that wants to take God's place in your heart. And Jesus said you can't serve God and you can't serve money. Why? Because money has this, this agenda to take, your, take God's place in your heart. Let me give you an example of how this works. We even say it like this in our world today. Have you ever heard somebody say, I need a miracle or I need to win the lottery? <laughs> We always say that kind of jokingly, kind of cutting up. But at the end of the day, we're kind of like, if I won the lottery, that really wouldn't make me mad. I mean, all my problems would be over. How many know that's not true? But isn't it interesting that I either need a miracle from God or I need money? You see what money just did? Money just made itself equal to God. Money just said, either you need God or you need me. Because I can take care of all your problems. But you know what the Bible says? Look with me in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. It says, those who love money will never have enough. And how meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. I'll make a little confession to you. Uh, last year I turned 50. I'll be 51 next month. So last year I turned 50. And for the first time in my life, I started thinking about retirement. <laughs> and I started thinking about, you know, man, we got to live, yeah, for a long time because I'm going to live a long time. And so we started, I started thinking about retirement and I started looking into all these things. I started doing some research and I started reading and I started studying and I started listening and I started watching. And this is what I found out from all the financial gurus out there. They all have one thing in common. Here's what they all have in common. You need more. You need more. Doesn't matter how much you save. Doesn't matter how much you invest. Doesn't matter about your 401k. Doesn't matter about your passive income. You need more. And if you listen to them, and you listen to them, every one of them has one common thread. You need more. You're going to need more money and more money and more investments and more passive income and more and more and more and more and more. You need more. That's the spirit of mammon. The spirit of mammon says, I need more. I just need more. How much do you need? I don't know. I just need more. A million dollars, two million dollars, a hundred thousand dollars, five hundred thousand dollars, seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. How much do you really need? I don't know how much I really need, but I just know that I need more. And we have a world that is consumed by the spirit of mammon. We just want more. More houses and more cars and more things. And I realized something. I realized, man, if I'm not careful, man, I, I was doing all that study and all that research and I'm thinking about my family and I care about my, my children. And the Bible says that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So God's in favor of leaving financial inheritance. He wants us to be blessed and be a blessing. But I want to just tell you something. You can pursue more and have less. And I see it all the time. Let me give you one of the things that grieves my heart about Christian business owners. This grieves my heart about Christian business owners. I meet a lot of Christian business owners, entrepreneurs, whatever you want to call them. And, and every one of them, if you, really, if you really question them and ask them, why did you want to start your own business? Every one of them will say this. I wanted more time with my family, and I wanted more time to build the kingdom. And 95% of them get ruled by their business, and they have less time for their family and less time for the kingdom. And it breaks my heart. 
Because they become a slave to the thing that was supposed to free them. And you become, Nash is so smart. Look at him clapping over there. You become a slave to the thing that's supposed to free you. Why? Because when you start seeking more, how much more do you need? Well, we just need more business and we need to make more money and we need to save more money and we need more income and we need more this and we need more that. And all of a sudden you realize there's never enough. And the love of money never says you've had enough. And the spirit of mammon says you've never had enough. And this is what I begin to realize even in my own life. If I'm not careful, if I'm not careful in my desire to provide for my family, I'll miss the mark of God's glory. And I'm not saying don't provide for your family. You need to provide for your family. I'm just saying I think we can do both. I think we can build the kingdom. And this is what I learned. If I build God's kingdom, he'll build mine. If I build God's house, he'll build mine. If I take care of God's family, he'll take care of mine. Come on, somebody. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things. What's he talking about? Food and clothing and shelter, provision, all the things that you want. All the things that you need will be provided for you. That doesn't, be fool, doesn't mean be foolish. That doesn't mean spend all your money. That doesn't mean you don't save and you don't invest and you don't plan. It doesn't mean any of those things. It just simply means that you make sure in your, in, your, in your planning and in your investing and in your preparing that you're seeking first the kingdom of God instead of the kingdom of this world. Amen? One more thing Jesus said. He said not only is there the worries of life and the lure of wealth, but he said there's the desire of other things. And the other things can be anything, right? It can be a house, a car, a boat. It could be anything that you have in your life. Look what, look, I want to look at this point. When the desire for other things consume our thoughts, will, and emotions, we become weighted down by the things of this world. We become weighted down by the things of this world. This is what I've realized now at 50 years old. I've realized that the more things that I have, the more things I have to take care of. And I know, I know every man in this room needs another gun. Because you got a closet full of guns that you hadn't shot in 10 years. But you need another gun. And I know every woman in this room needs another pair of shoes. Because, Lord, you go to the closet, you say, oh, I even forgot I had these. The desire for other things. And if we're not careful, the desire for other things will disconnect us from the purpose of God for our life. We get weighted down by these things. And now I'm so consumed taking care of the things that I don't have time to live my life. Think about this. The things that you have should be tools that help you build the life God has called you to live. But if your life is being used to maintain the things that you have, then you're missing the mark. Either the things are helping me live God's life, or my life is being used to maintain my things. Because the bigger the house, the more we got to clean. The bigger the property, the more we got to mow. The nicer the stuff, the more worried I got to be about taking care of it, that nobody scratches that car and I got to park at the back of Walmart. Because, boy, this is a nice car. You ever see people with nice cars that never drive them? I'm like, what's up with that? Well, that's beautiful. Can we take it out? Oh, no, I don't drive it. 
Do you see how that happens? The desire for things all of a sudden weighs us down. And I'm spending all my life and my energy and my effort taking care of my things instead of using the things to build the life that God's called me to build. Man, I'm all in favor of things. If you got extra things, I'll take them. Come on, somebody. I'll sell it on eBay or something. I don't know. But I know this, I know that if my things aren't building the life God's called me to live, then my life is out of order and all of a sudden the things begin to consume my life and now it's a weight that I carry. It's a weight that I carry. And I can't do the thing God's called me to do because I got too many things consuming my life so I don't have any energy left to do the thing God called me to do. Hebrews chapter 12, listen to what Paul says. He says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses to this life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Man, let's run with endurance the race. Man, there's a race to run. There's a race with your name on it, guys. There's a race with your name on it. God's got a purpose and a plan for your life. And you got to run the race. Acts chapter 13. I read this a couple weeks ago in my quiet time, and it just gripped my heart. I want you to hear it. It says, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers. After he had served the purpose of God in his own generation. That little phrase grabbed me. And I thought this to myself. I said, God, I, I want to serve your purpose in my generation. I want to serve your purpose, God, in my generation. And I really I want my life to impact future generations. But this is what I know. My life will never impact future generations if I don't serve the purpose of God in my current generation. But let me give you some good news about David. <laughs> David got distracted. He got distracted by the lust of his flesh, the lust of his eye, and the pride of life. And he saw a woman named Bathsheba, and he got in his flesh, and he committed adultery, and he committed murder. And man, he screwed up bad. I mean, bad. But the Bible says that he served the purpose of God in his generation. You know why? Because David repented. And David returned to the path that God had for him. There was a cost, yes. There was a price he had to pay because of his sin, absolutely. But here's some good news today. The mistakes of our past doesn't disqualify us from our future. David got distracted. He allowed the desire for other things rob him of the purpose of God for a season in his life. But he repented. He returned to that high place that God had for him. And the scripture says in Acts 13 that David served the purpose of God in his generation. How powerful that is. I want you to look at this last point with me today. The fourth heart, as I said earlier, is this is the place that we want to live. This is the place we want to camp out. This is how we want to live our lives. Listen, listen to this statement right here. The fourth heart is the open heart. It's the person who receives the word of God. They cultivate the Word of God. They continually make room for the Word of God in their life. Why? Because when God's Word changes your thoughts, that's what repentance is. 
Repentance is not just a change of direction. Repentance literally means to change your mind. It's a change of mind that produces a change of direction. And when we allow God's Word to change our thoughts and we begin to repent, we return to the high place, we begin to abandon the lies of the enemy, and we begin to embrace the truth of God's Word, all of a sudden powerful things begin to happen. Romans 12, 12, 2 says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed, metamorphosized by renewing your mind, letting God change the way you think. Any thought that you think about yourself, about others, or about God, or about life in general that doesn't line up with the Word of God is a lie from the pit of hell that needs to be abandoned and crucified and brought into the obedience of Jesus Christ. See, when we change the way we think, when we repent, change our minds, all of a sudden it influences our will. And when I begin to repent and begin to change my mind, I begin to look at life through the lens of Scripture, all of a sudden I begin to make decisions and choices based on the Word of God. God's Word becomes the standard for the decision-making process of my life. And then all of a sudden it stirs my emotions. That's passion. I don't know about you guys. I love passionate people. I love to see people that are passionate about what God's called them to do, passionate about living their lives for His glory. And all of a sudden that happens. How do I find that passion? I find that passion by renewing my mind. I've got to let God's word change the way I think. I've got to receive his word. And I've got to recognize that anything that comes into my life that contradicts the word of God has to be cast down and put away. Because God's word is life. And when I repent, when I change the way I think, my life changes. See, see there's a big difference between repentance and behavioral modification. See, there's a big difference between the, a transformed heart and an altered behavior. See, behavior modification happens by external restraints. Guess what? We can put somebody in prison and we can control their behavior for 20 years. But when they get out of prison, they go back to doing what they did before they went to prison and even worse things because now they had 20 years to think about how they weren't going to get caught doing what they got caught going to prison for. And I've had guys tell me that. They got out of prison. They said, you know what, Pastor Keith, when I got out of prison, I was a lot smarter. I had a lot of time to think about how I wasn't going to get caught this time. I actually heard that more than once. You know why? Because behavior modification is what comes through external restraints. But heart transformation comes by the changing of your mind. And God's not interested in legalism. Christianity is not legalism. It's not rules and regulations. God's not just wanting to slap your hand, slap your hand, slap your hand, say, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. No, that's not how God works. God wants to change your heart by renewing your mind. Because when you change the way you think, you change the way you live, and you change the things that you feel, and all of a sudden you find that you have a passion for things you never had a passion for, you have a desire for things you never had a desire for, and you have a hunger for things you never had a hunger for, all because you begin to renew your mind and change the way you think according to the Word of God. Amen? God's Word will always produce fruit. Amen? He watches over His Word, the Bible says, to perform it. I want us to do this today. Let's just bow our heads. I want to do two things today. The first thing I want to do is simply this. I want to just ask you the question. If you're here today or you're watching online, and maybe you realize that you're not a Christian. You've never been born again. You've never received Jesus, who is the living Word of God. 
and today you want to be born again, let me ask you a very simple question today. If you were to die right now, where would you spend eternity? If you were to die right now, if you were to breathe your last breath before we close this sermon, this service today, where would you spend eternity? Do you know that you know that you know that you go to heaven? Or are you unsure about where you're going to spend eternal life? Here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus died that you wouldn't have to. He took your place on a cross, bore the penalty and punishment of your sin, so that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You know what Jesus said? You can be born again. You can begin again in Christ. Your sins can be forgiven. Your future can be secure. And your present can be filled with his presence. Because he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. If you're here today and you're in this room or you're watching online, you say, Pastor Keith, today I want to accept Christ. I want to be born again. I want to know that I know that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. If that's you, I want you just to raise your hand all over this building. Just slip your hand up right now. Just hold it high. Just raise your hand high. Hold it up. Don't, don't be ashamed. Just lift it high. Today, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. As you lift your hand, we got our ushers. They'd love to come just slip a little packet in your lap. We'd love to give you hand up high. Today, I want to be born again. Today, I want to be saved. I want to ask Jesus to be the Lord of my life. If you're watching online, you can hit that hand emoji. You can just type in that chat box. I'm, I'm, I'm raising my hand, Pastor Keith. I want to be saved. This is what we're going to do. We're going to just pray a prayer together. If you raised your hand, let's pray this prayer together. I'm going to ask everybody in the room to say it with me. Let's say it out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins, rose again on the third day. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. I want to be born again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a little hand clap of praise. Amen. If you prayed that prayer and you received a packet, if you would fill that out, drop that card, or give that card to an usher on your way out today. We'd love to pray with you.